What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Element City Church. How's everyone doing tonight? Good. Good. Uh, my name is Lyle, so I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I uh, would love to get to meet you at some point in time. Uh, so usually I'm out at the back door after service, uh, so you should say hello. Anywho, uh, just want to welcome you and thank you for joining us tonight uh, as we worship together. Uh, we've got a great night ahead. Jack is going to be talking about some adult situations. So get ready if you're at home, especially if you've got young ones listening. I don't know. Is it going to be appropriate, Jack? Did we get the okay on that? I don't see him, so now we've got mystery. Now you don't even know what's going to happen. We're setting the hook. That's good. All right, so if you're new, if it's your first time here tonight, we would love to meet you. Uh, we've got the 10-minute party that's going to be going on in the back of the room at the end of service. We even have a free gift for you uh, just for coming and saying hello back there. Uh, so we'd love to get to know a little bit more about you and, and let you know more about ourselves and what we're all about here at Element City Church. And maybe you're tuning in at home online and it's your first time joining. If so... Uh, thanks for tuning in. Maybe drop something in the comments below. Let us know where you're watching from. But we've got online hosts who are there to re uh, engage with you. So if you have any questions, if you need prayer or anything at all, uh, the online hosts would be happy to take care of you for that. And maybe if you're at home and you're like, hey, I want to get connected too. Uh, if you text this phone number, that's going to be up on the screen right now. It's 520 Three four zero six eight six eight. Just text the word hello there, uh, and you'll get some links. You just tap the link, fill out the information. That'll let us get connected with you. Another easy way to get connected is in the Element City Church app. So how many of you in the room already have the Element City Church app? Look at that. Most of you do. It's amazing. We look at the app dashboard, and there's like 1,800 people with the app on their phone. That's pretty wild. We don't even know how that happened. Uh, but it, that's where you can do giving. Uh, that's probably the easiest place where people give. Uh, we've got playlists up there. You can always go back and catch old sermons. You can catch the sermon notes themselves. Uh, so lots of things that are in the church app. So make sure you download the Element City Church app as well. So let's all stand together uh, as the worship team comes out. We've got a, a great night of worship ahead of us, a great night in the Word as well. Uh, we always like to pray for the Church of the Week. Uh, this is something that Fort Tucson does. I don't know if you're familiar with Fort Tucson. They're a great local ministry that's all about helping the church get connected in the city. And so they uh, invite churches to submit information about them and ways that you can be praying for them. Uh, so Redemption Tucson is the Church of the Week, and their pastor, Dave Goffney, is who we want to pray for tonight. Uh, I've got some good friends who go to Redemption Church and uh, some good friends who are really heavily involved up in Phoenix. It's actually a church plant out of Phoenix that came down here to Tucson. So that's pretty cool. So we're going to pray for them. We're going to pray for ourselves. Uh, let's join together in prayer. Father, thanks for this evening. Thanks for the work that you want to do tonight. And so as we uh, begin our, our time of worship together, I just, uh, I ask that you would open our ears to hear the invitation that you have to each one of us tonight to come and to find rest in you. At the end of a long week, at the end of a weekend where for some of us it might have been busy. We might have been doing a lot of things. I pray that as we take this time together to gather around the name of Jesus, to celebrate the Savior of the world, that you would still our hearts, that you would renew our minds. And God, that you would uh, just invite us to go deeper in knowing you more to go deeper maybe in worship, to, to sing out like maybe we never have before, to set aside any distractions and go deeper in the word as Jack comes to speak tonight out of 1 Thessalonians chapter four. God, we wanna hear what it is that you have for us. 
individually and for us corporately as a group. We pray for Redemption Church as well here in Tucson. We pray for their pastor, Dave, and we thank you uh, that they're a a good church in town that uh, has some great people attending. There's some great people involved. Uh, And we pray your blessing over them. We pray your favor over them uh, as they meet in Stafford Elementary uh, each Sunday morning. God, would you give them favor in the city, uh, in the space that they're at, the ability to connect with their community, with their neighborhood, to bring the hope of Jesus to everyone. God, we pray that you would give them all the discernment and wisdom that they need as a church, their leadership, uh, to know where it is that you're calling them to serve, the things that they can do. Uh, God, we just pray that in every situation, whether it be spiritual, whether it be financial, whatever it is, God, would you meet every need of those who are there in the church. Thank you, Lord, that we get to work together to bring the light of Jesus to this city. We're all here on one team. We're here to bring the good news to people who need to hear it. And so we just pray that uh, you would not just bless redemption, but even tonight, would you bless us here at Elements with the ability to do the same, that uh, at the end of the night, people wouldn't celebrate Jack. They wouldn't celebrate a message. They wouldn't talk about anything other than you, Jesus. That's it. We want to point all of our attention, all of our affection to you. And so that's what we do. That's what we commit ourselves to in this moment. We pray it in your precious and your holy name. Everyone said, amen, amen. I call you You give life an eternal spark. I call you healer. Cause you can mend any broken heart. I call you faithful father. You finish everything you start. My soul was made to respond. I know you by a thousand days. And you deserve every single one You've given me a million ways To be amazed at what you've done And I am lost in wonder At all you do I know you by a thousand names So I'll sing them back to you
Bye. 
I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I won't be formed by fears. I'll hold fast to what is true. The cross brings transformation. I'll be crucified with you. Come on. If death is just a doorway to resurrection life, and I'll join you in your sufferings, and I'll join you when you rise, and when you return in glory, and all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing, my soul.
much that we get to live in a country where we can just worship you publicly, Lord. I pray over all of those who cannot, and I pray that they find the boldness that they can go and worship you, even if they have to hide, Lord. Lord, I pray for us in this church today and listening online. Prepare our hearts for what Pastor Jack has to say, whether that's tilling, whether that is watering a seed that's already been planted, or whether it's growing us more. Just prepare us, Lord. And I ask that you anoint Pastor Jack. Let him hear you, even if he has to change something, because this is the word that we need, Lord. Give him the strength. Give him the boldness to do that. Lord Jesus, we just love you. And in your precious and holy name, I pray all of these things. Friends, it's so good to, to be with you. If you're joining us here in the house or from your house online, uh, we are thrilled to worship together. We're going to look into God's word and we're going to end with some worship. And so if you happen to be new, uh, welcome. I know it takes courage coming to a new place. And so we're just thrilled that you're here. And, and we always say around here, listen, you don't have to be part of the convinced to belong. And we want this to be, maybe you're on a spiritual journey of just searching for some things. And so from time to time, we do different series based around themes. So we kind of spent a month looking at some mental health and what does the scripture have to say about having good mental health and a couple months ago. And from time to time, we'll go through different books of the Bible because we want to help grow people in their biblical literacy. And so we started a few weeks back, Lyle and I kind of going through First and Second Thessalonians. And so if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn to that's toward kind of the tail end of the New Testament. Or if you have our app, if you just uh, log on there and scroll down to uh, sermon notes, you can actually follow along with everything that I'm going to share tonight. I will say on the outset that um, in a little bit of ways, this is kind of PG-13, and I'm just letting you know, uh, because this is where Paul goes in this next part of the letter that we're in, and we're kind of saying, okay, how does this apply to life? Remember, Paul writes this letter back to the church in Thessalonica, which is kind of northern Greece area, and this is about 51 AD, and writing back to this early church plant that he started with Silas and Timothy, and then they were kind of forced out and had to kind of take off on the run, and then uh, Paul's there in Athens. He sends Timothy back because, like, he's heartbroken that he can't be with these people, and they they were there just a few weeks and just instructing them, what does it mean to follow Jesus and how do you follow Jesus? What does it mean to kind of pledge your life to that? And maybe you're here and you're not there yet, but hey, this is where Paul was. He's saying, look, it's all for Jesus and we're following after him and we're following his truth for life. And and so he sends Timothy back. Timothy does some uh, more teaching and some more help, just encouraging this young church. And then he kind of finds Paul again and meets back up with him. And then now Paul is writing this letter back to this church from that standpoint, from the report of Timothy. And so in that, uh, there's been some questions and some things that have arisen that now Paul, at the chapter 4 and verse in chapter 5, is beginning to address some of those things uh, that maybe were part of the conversation when Timothy was there. And so we're going to get to peek in to a little bit of that that I think is still really, really applicable for us. And so that's the backdrop of this. And I want to start with a quote from Brother Lawrence, who is a, a monk in a monastery in Paris in the 1600s. He's old, dead, okay? So, like, he's not around. Um, like, Jesus is still around. Uh, Brother Lawrence, great guy, uh, he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. Incredible book, and the beauty of it is it's really short. 
Uh, and so if you want to accomplish a book, that's a good one to get. It's like 90 pages. Bam, you're done. Uh, you, you read a book. Uh, so Brother Lawrence writes about this. Just I, How do you keep practicing the presence of God? And here's what he has to say that really ties into where Paul goes and begins this whole framework of things. He says this, Let us then think often that our only business in this life is to please God. That like the top priority as a follower of Jesus. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that's probably not your top priority. I'd understand that. But as a follower of Jesus, one who has submitted their life to Christ and who's been rescued by Jesus and his grace, his life, his death, his resurrection, and you've aligned your life with him, then, then there needs to be a new priority. And here's the, the reality, is we live in a church, we live in a, a culture, not just a church culture, but a, a culture that says, listen, I, I want to please me. Like, I want to do the things and make the choices and make decisions that please me. And what Paul's going to kind of push here a little bit with a, 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 around a couple of subject matters is this idea of you want to live to please God first and foremost. That's where you want to be. So I want us to, to read through this. We're going to read through uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12. So it's a blitz through this. He's going to hit two different things. In reality, this whole chapter is about three different things. We'll unpack it uh, over the next couple weeks, okay? So here's what he says. We'll read it, and then we're kind of digest it and kind of dive in a little bit, and we'll apply it to our lives. So here's what he says. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instruct you to live in order to please God. The framework of everything I'm getting ready to say, live in order to please God. As in fact, you are living. Now we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Keep growing in this, he said. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That you should be set apart is what that word means. God is saying, listen, I'm, I'm setting you apart as my people. That you should be sanctified. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before back when they were with them. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, about your love for one another, we don't need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other, and in fact, you do love all of God's family through all of Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Keep growing in this. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and that you may not be dependent on anybody. So, there's a lot there. Uh, we'll unpack a little bit of that uh, this week and then the last half of chapter 4 next week. But this context of, of, of this tension that we live in uh, of do I want to live to please God as a follower of Jesus, if that's what you call yourself, and if that's the faith that you've made, do I live to live like to please God or to please myself? In our culture, we have a growing norm to seek what pleases me at all cost. It's often the chief aim of so many of our decisions, our pursuits, and our goals in life. Now listen, it is not wrong to do things for yourself. Or as Donna from Parks and Rec says, treat yourself 
from time to time. It's okay. Healthy self-care is not selfish. I need some of you to hear that. Healthy self-care is not selfish. You cannot give what you do not have. It's a lesson I'm learning. And so it's okay to take care of yourself. But if you flip all the way over to solely living to please yourself and fulfill all of your desires, then you cannot say that you're living for God who rescued us and is calling us to follow him. He's saying, follow me. I'm the one in the lead. So follow me. See, Paul puts this right filter over life, and he says, we as believers in Jesus, we are now aimed our living at a life that seeks to please God first and foremost. Doesn't mean I can't do things for myself, but it means my first and foremost ambition and desire is to please God. So in chapter 4, Paul, again, because of the report back from Timothy, is now writing back, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to say, listen, here's how you follow to live after Jesus in all areas of life. And since you ask about some of these things, and maybe we, didn't, we got forced out of town before we could address all this, I'm writing back to you, and Paul says, I want you to live in such a way that pleases God. And then in verse 3 and following, he shows how Christians are supposed to live distinctly when it comes to sexuality, in the area of our work and making money, and thirdly, in our attitude toward death and dying, which is what we'll get to next week. So just simple, light things, right? Here we go. Something we should keep in mind is right here at the very beginning is the reason Paul stressed all three of these things is because the way Christians lived was radically different than the Greek and Roman culture of the first and second century. That's what you have to understand is be transported back in time to understand the cultural moment in context of the situation of how people lived in that context. Their lifestyles, their attitudes, their behavior as Christians was revolutionary in the context of what the backdrop of culture around them was. It was completely different. Their neighbors understood that early Christians were different in these three areas in particular, Because the pagans, or or Paul calls the heathen in the NIV version, and other versions of the scripture may have a different word, but at least that's the translation here. The pagan, the Greek, and Roman citizens around them were amazed often by Christians and their attitude and their lifestyle and the way that they lived. Like it caught them off guard. Like especially when you look at what we'll look at next week, this whole idea of their attitude toward death and dying. You realize, remember, persecution is breaking out. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. In in Thessalonica area, there was opposition and persecution against Christians. Listen, you live in America. You might be oppressed, maybe. You might have opposition, maybe. But you are not persecuted for your faith. There are people all over the world who are going through what actual persecution is. For their faith. It ain't you and it ain't me. We might be opposed, we might have different um, oppositions going against us from a cultural perspective, but that's all we got. We don't have persecution. These people were facing persecution where death was a real possibility for a follower of Jesus because culture wanted to stamp you out. And Christians, even some Christians who were martyred for their faith, went to their execution singing hymns. That's radically different than what the culture would expect you to do. 
And so they were, they were kind of pushing back, and the way they lived was revolutionary. The most interesting thing is the attitude that Christians had towards sex and making money or work was not just a little bit different. It was actually diametrically opposed to the attitude of the pagan culture in which they lived and what was around them. That's why one of the earliest writings we have outside of the Bible the letter to Dignosius, who is very interesting, has a little phrase to it. He says, we share our table with all, but not our bed with all. That that was the take of the early Christians. And that's what they wrote about. This is what defined Christians. Because in a pagan culture, the Greek and Roman culture, that was the opposite. You didn't share your money with nobody. And you had sex with everybody. That was the cultural moment. That was the context, the backdrop of reality, what was happening around these early Christians. Now, think about that in our cultural moment. Think about the reality and the tension that is there. You see, pagans did not share their money. They did not share their table. They held on to their money. Their money was sacred. Sex was mundane. Their sexuality was freely given all over the place, and Christians were the opposite. For Christians, it was not money that was sacred. It, or sex was not mundane, but sex was sacred. They cared for it and guarded their sexuality, but money was kind of mundane, and they actually shared it with the people around them. And their generosity is what won people over. And so you have these diametrically opposed realities of what's happening. It's important to remember that, um, that there must be something wholesome about the way of Christianity because the Greek and Roman culture actually fell apart from within. If you study history and begin to read about it, the way they lived actually it brought a fall from within. And soon after that, it was the Christian way of living that became adopted. Because the pagan approach to money and sex and sharing your sex with everybody but sharing your money with nobody ultimately destroyed their society, eventually people saw the wisdom and joy and the wholesomeness of the Christian approach. And here's the reason why Paul is writing so carefully and with great care to say, listen, for you new converts, for you, for you new folks in the faith, I know you're going to face opposition. I know people are going to talk about you. I know people are going to say things about you. I know you're going to face a pushback from the cultural context and moment that you're in. But you want to live this way. This is the way of Jesus. Remember, I told you, you must live in this way or you'll lose your revolutionary impact of how you can have. See, Western culture today thinks that we are so modern and so liberated but frankly, Western culture is just going back to the Greek and Roman culture in our freedom. And we announce freedom to do anything you want. We haven't progressed, we've regressed. And it's actually the Christians who have a revolutionary way of approaching life that is a challenge in the cultural context and backdrop of the day. But... <clears throat> All modern statistics show that people give far less of their money away today than they used to, and that people have far more sex than they used to. And so we're maybe not as progressive as we think we are, or as advanced as we are. So the question for us to wrestle with is, are we being squeezed in the mold of the dominant culture around us, 
Or will we be a people who have a revolutionary impact upon culture in a different way? And so Paul launches in, and here's what he says, starting in verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Meaning it's God's desire to set you apart. That's what the word sanctified means. It's God's will that you be sanctified. Now, that's just a, a $5 Christian word that means that you're becoming more and more like Jesus and that you're set apart for something special and that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in a passionate lust like the pagans who don't know God. You know God. Again, this is for Christians, for people who have pledged their life to him. And just in a little space, he touches on the basics of how the goodness of sex, the context of sex, and the purpose of it. God's will is your sanctification, that you would become holy. He wants you to have his character, and that he wants you to be a partaker in his nature. How? It's God's will that you be sanctified, therefore that you should abstain from sex. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that it should fit in the right context. If you stand back, what he's saying is sex improperly used will undermine your holiness and your sanctification. But sex properly used is a way to actually grow your holiness in the right context. Throughout history, there have been two basic approaches to sex that religion and philosophies and cultures have taken. And sometimes those two approaches battle inside a culture, I think much like inside the moment that we're in. The first approach is that we deify sex. Back in the first century, think about this, you had mystery religions, kind of religions on the margins that you actually, and this is where it's PG-13, you actually performed sexual acts as a part of worship in those temples. What? Yeah. The Bible went there. Like, that was legit how some people worshipped in that. It was an actual part of the rituals. In a culture that tries to deify sex and announces that my sexuality, my biology or self-decided biology, is my very core identity, it's my greatest definer of life. And the scripture would say, that's weak. Uh, That's so much less than who you really are. Uh, Your sexuality is a part of you, but it's not the main thing about you. It's not what makes you, you. We live in a culture that tries to promote sex is the way to wisdom, sex is the way to joy, sex is the way to real happiness, yet we know from experience after experience and study after study that it fails to deliver what it says it promises. Sure, it might be a fun fling, But that's all it is when it's not in the right context that grows healthy. The other side, or the other approach, if we don't try to deify sex, is sometimes we degrade sex. And even in some conservative Christian traditions, you'll see people kind of have that tone with it, where we don't talk about sex. It's the thing we don't talk about, because it's not good. Listen, it's good. I've been married 28 years. But it's not the end all. It's not everything. It's a good thing. But that's all it is. But we have to understand that it is a good thing. It's not degrading this. The word of God and the will of God is not to be disgusted over sex. 
You can see that in a lot of ways that people talk, but when you go to the scriptures, you don't see that at all. You don't see a deifying of sex, and you don't see a degrading of sex. In fact, the Bible is sort of confusing in a lot of ways. When you read it, you'll see some sections like the Song of Solomon and places in Proverbs that are incredibly erotic. There are places in the Bible that would curl your hair if someone actually translated what the original Hebrew and Greek meant. Hello! But on the other hand, you have places where it says flee sexual immorality. That's what Paul's saying here. So what's going on? Does that mean I, like, I avoid it? What's the tension in here? See, the gospel first demystifies sex and then remystifies it in a way. The gospel demystifies sex where it says, listen, uh, you never see the Bible talking about sex in whispers. You never see it define or glorify or deifying or glorifying sex. And certainly you never see it lifting up saying, hey, this is the end all, this is the way. On one hand, the Bible kind of decenters sex and says, this is not salvation. This is not the way to wisdom, and this is actually not even ultimate joy. It's fun, and it's good, and it's healthy in the right context. But then it's demystifying. It turns around that this has a power to it that's actually really powerful. And so it begins to, to kind of actually put the mystery back into it. That there is a powerful connection that happens that no one can really put words to. And so it is both this thing that's not all that, but it actually is kind of all that. And so you see this tension lived out in the pages of Scripture. Paul says, and elsewhere in the Scriptures, it talks about the right proper context for this. And this, I know, is where anyone above a third grade education goes, that's not real. Grow up. We've got to progress. The second thing Paul talks about is sex has a context. It's wonderful and it's simple. What's the context within marriage? I don't know how to make it more simple than that. That's what the scripture talks about. That you're not controlled by passionate lust like the pagans who don't know God. Remember, you know God. And you're being sanctified and you're living to please him over just pleasing yourself. See, the word immorality in Greek is a word that you'll understand, you'll know it as soon as I say it. It's pornea. Well, we get some words from pornea. We have an understanding. You realize that pornography is a $5 billion a year industry in our country, let alone the world, and the destruction it causes to people, and yet there is this tension that says, well, that's, that's mystery, and so I, I want, and listen, this is pornea, and it's not just that. The Greek word pornea simply means sexual immorality in general. It's the misuse of sex, immoral sex in general. It can be used almost around the idea of, of sexual violation or sexual abuse or sexual twisting or sexual misuse. It's a general word. But Paul clearly is saying, in order to not be involved in pornea, you must be married. That's the context for this. Now, some people will push back on that. In fact, a lot of people in our, con in our culture push back against that. That's so outdated, so old. Yeah. Uh, it's been around a while. The Bible says throughout the sex is for marriage. It's not before marriage. It's not for outside of marriage. It's in the context of marriage. And when you hear people say, listen, can't we just focus on what all religions care about and what they're all kind of focused on? And, and, and I'm told that's so narrow-minded, okay? Well, can't we just strict, uh, stick to what religions all kind of believe in general? You should be good. All religions surely kind of say that, don't they? Well, 
what you have to understand is for a very, 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 very long time that this idea of sex outside of marriage was actually something that most religions kind of talked about and had a belief around. Orthodox Christians, Roman Catholic Christians, Protestant Christians for centuries have all been unanimous about this, and not just Christians. Judaism, Hinduism, and Islam all have kind of the same thing to say about it. It's one of the few things that all religions for centuries have had a consensus on. So before you say, well, you know, we know all my friends think this is ridiculous, just realize what you're putting yourself up against. A lot of history. And not just from a Christ follower perspective, but a lot of history. Paul is telling men in this scenario, if you look at the Greek, he's, he's, kinda, he's not leaving women out, but he's directing toward men because of what the history and the backdrop of the cultural moment that he's speaking to, and I'll unpack that in a second. He's saying, listen, this is absolutely um, kind of subversive in power and privilege that you have in a pagan culture of a Greek and Roman heritage and understanding of what happens. Uh, what you have to understand in the first and second century from a Greek and Roman perspective is that most men in that, a pagan culture, had three or four women all the time. You may have had a wife that the Greek word is gene, and this wife was someone that you married into for status. It was what kept you in the class that you were in. So you married someone to keep you in that class, and they were the person who oversaw your offspring, your inheritance with that, and that's who you married. That was your wife. But you also had a mistress, and not mistress like we think in our cultural context, but you had a mistress that would match your intellect, and you'd have sex with. That someone that you connected with, because it actually may not be your wife, because you married your wife for status. And so that was just to keep you in the cultural class you were in. And then this one over here, well, this was the one I actually identify with. This is the one I really wanted. And then on top of that, you actually had slaves. And so you actually had, uh, you had a concubine also. And so from a Greek and Roman pagan perspective, you had three women and potentially a fourth and maybe a fifth, especially if you participated in one of the temple ceremonies. And so into that context, Paul is saying to men, hey, you don't be like that. You are not like that. Here's the context where this thrives, and it's not the culture around you. This is the biblical sex ethic. You must not separate soul and body. You are one. Whole body commitment has to go with whole life commitment. That's how a biblical understanding of our sexuality fits. A whole body commitment to a whole life commitment. Paul says this whole body commitment, this kind of intimacy, must go along with a whole life commitment. Why? Because it's how God does it. A whole commitment from God to a whole life of intimacy with you, with his church. That's the commitment. I don't have fling things on the side. I'm all in committed here. He says, because you don't have a relationship with God, therefore you think it's okay to have intimacy without commitment. And friend, that just gets you broken hearted. It doesn't take you 
where you actually want to be. The one thing you will learn about God is if you have intimacy with God, you have God's full commitment. That's what he's modeling. Full commitment to have full intimacy. If you want total intimacy, you got to have total commitment. That's why John Stott, uh, a New Testament scholar, writes this, if the heathen behave as they do because they do not know God, Christians must behave in a completely different way because they do know God. Because he is a holy God. Because he is our God. And because we want to live to please him. How did Paul start this? I want you to live to please God. Not just live to please yourself. And so I'm going to talk about sex and work and money, and we'll get there. And I'm going to talk about death and dying because all these things we all have to deal with. And I want you to live to please God. And so just as quick as he introduces this idea of sex, he flips the coin and begins talking about work and money and how work is not a four-letter word. For some of you, your work is a four-letter word then my encouragement to you is let's find different work. Because what Paul's saying is work is good. Dorothea Sayers kind of puts the biblical doctrine of work and the understanding of that is work is gracious expression of creative energy in the service of others. The biblical doctrine of work has a couple guidelines to it. The first is that you would function in reason that you should do any job because it helps other people. And that, that's not just the idea of a service job, but in how you do work, does it free you to love and bless and encourage others? Does it free you to invest in other people and not just make it about you and the accumulation of the dollar and getting higher and higher in the bank account, but you never share with anybody? I don't know. Paul's saying, listen, that's not how this works. You could do that and you'll be just like the pagans around you. But friend, that's not going to take you to the life that you actually want. You're to live revolutionary in how you do that. Whether it makes you useful for other people should be important. What he begins to say is like, and what you have to understand is uh, verses 10 through 12 is really like one run-on sentence with a semicolon. Paul's famous for this. He writes really long sentences. Anyone working on their doctorate or so, like you're probably reading people that write really long sentences. And you're like, that could be 15 sentences, what you just wrote. Yeah, that, Paul's kind of like that too. Uh, and, and, and what you have to understand is this idea of verses 10 through 12 is kind of this idea. So let me just go back and reread it. This is verse 9 through 10 and then 11 and 12. It says, about your love for one another, I don't need to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love. Like you're doing this to the family of God through Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, keep doing it more and more. Like keep growing in it more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. What does it mean by quiet? It's just like, I got to go to a monastery? No, no, like we'll get there. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as I told you. Is this this idea of like, don't be a church lady and gossip all around, like be all in people's biz? No, like it's not kind of what he's getting at. It kind of sounds like that, but your daily life should win the respect of outsiders so you're not dependent on anybody. This is actually this idea of saying, listen, in your work, in the way that you go about doing work, uh, find work and occupation where you can make money. It's not wrong to make money, uh, but that you would do it in a way that would be a blessing to others. And as you do your work, 
that at the very end, you'll hint at this idea that I'm doing this to bless others and I'm being blessed by it in the process. And I'm living a quiet life in the sense that I'm not bored. That's what he's actually getting at. Because in the Thessalonican church, there were probably people who were not working at all. And when you don't have a job, what do you tend to do? Hey, what are you, what are you doing? I'm going to talk about this. Uh, you want to go out? You want to do this? No, I'm, I'm working right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. Hey, uh, what are you doing? Um, like, you know, like you're getting all up in other people's business and you're distracting them. It's because you don't have a quiet soul. You don't have a quiet heart. You don't have a focus to give yourself to. You're actually becoming idle. And, and in that idleness, it's actually a disquieted soul within you that's stirring you. In other words, the Christians say, look, I don't want to be a drain on my community around me. I want to be an investor in the community around me. And so I want to work that I'm making money, but I'm also being a blessing to the people around me, and I'm actually putting a benefit into the people that I'm connected to, and they're benefiting by my presence and by my work. It's a way that I can love the people around me is by contributing, not being a drain upon them and with my disquieted soul and my disquieted heart. Get a job that loves people. Get a job that helps people. Because one of the most important biblical facets of a biblical doctrine of work is that one of the main purposes is that you're contributing to the common good of the society, of the city, of the community around you. You're investing in it, not just draining from it. And that's the tension Paul's kind of walking with here. And maybe you sit and go, well, I make air conditioners, or I make chairs, or I'm a maintenance crew in the highway. I I don't know how I'm actually contributing to people. Uh, Anyone ever driven on the Tucson roads? Yeah, like it's a meme in itself, right? Like if you work fixing the roads, man, I am all for you, okay? We need more people doing that. You're benefiting me driving around a lot. You're benefiting the people around you. You're making a contribution. You may not see it, but your work is actually an expression of love. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. That's what Paul's saying. Don't, don't have an, a disquieted soul within you that just tries to get all in other people's business and actually distracts them because you're bored and because you're distracted. Give yourself to something. Uh, Work is not a four-letter word. It's actually you were created to work, to make a contribution, and to be creative in that. Clearly, he's speaking to idle people, and Paul's saying, listen, the antidote to idleness is work. Like, get a job. Help the people around you. Help your city around you. Get involved in that. Make a contribution. And understand that there is a spectrum of jobs, that you are wired to do a particular job that maybe I'm not wired to do. Find the best fit for you. Your gifts, your temperament, your abilities, your capacities, your experiences, all those things make you unique. Meaning there's probably a range in the spectrum of jobs And there might be hundreds of jobs in that spectrum. Find the range that fits you, that you wake up in the morning and go, I love that I get to do this. I may not like it all the time, but I love that I get to do it. Listen, ain't nobody like their job all the time, except me. I like my job. Okay, well, listen, no, not even me. Like, there are some times, I love you people. There's some times. But like, 
Everybody has a job that they can give themselves to fully and wholly. This spectrum, God's saying, listen, find what fits for you. You're supposed to look inside you. And if you've got a disquieted soul within you because of the job you're in, then friend, let's help you find a different fit. Because there might be a better fit out for you. Work is a good thing. Find work, first of all, that fits you and that benefits others because that's what you get to give your life to. Some people in God's gracious arrangement will find the ideal job. I feel like I have. The ideal job that you love to do and that fills you and you get to be a blessing to other people. Listen, some of you may have a job that makes a paycheck. And listen, that's okay if it frees you for the ability and opportunity to volunteer in what fills you, if it enables you to make a way that your investment through volunteering and through other resources and where you can give, sometimes, listen, I'm going to be honest as a minister, sometimes it'd be nice to have a nine-to-five job where I can punch the clock and punch out and be done. And I don't have to think about it You know, the beauty of ministry is it's always on, always going, always building. There's always something new, and I love that, but I'm honest. There's a time where I'm like, I just want to, like, do something that I can go, okay, I started, I finished, it's done. That'd be nice. So, for some of you, you may not have the ideal job for you, but does it free you to have the capacity to do something else that you love to do and that fills your cup? Because maybe that's okay for right now, for this season. And to see it that way. I do this, so I get to do this. What you want is to have a a contribution that you're making. The Christian approach to work is that there's dignity and value in all work. He says fundamentally to work to please God, not your market segment, not your supervisor. In fact, God becomes your boss, God becomes your audience, and God becomes your supervisor. It's what he writes in Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So this work that you do is for God's inclusion. So this whole section, and we'll look at the, the third section next week. This whole section is Paul instructing them, hey, in your sexuality, in your work life, live in order to please God more than just pleasing yourself. See, the pagans who don't know God, they run after that. And it's the short-circuited way to life. And it won't lead to the life that you really want. But you are to live revolutionary. And you're to live in a way that actually breathes life and gives life to yourself and to the people around you. You live to please God for the sheer pleasure of bringing pleasure to God. To honor him. Why? Because you are sanctified. You've been rescued. You've been saved and set apart in that. We live to please God. It means that God's interests become our primary ambition. I'm no longer living to please myself. I'm living to please God. This is highly relational language that Paul's using. Live to please God. So I don't know how this hits you. I don't know what stuck out to you. You're probably irritated at me. and some. Of, that's fine. The truth is, this is revolutionary. It is also very challenging in the backdrop of the culture in which you and I tread. And so the tension that you will have to manage and the tension I have to manage is real. But the importance of it is just as revolutionary today as it was back in the first century. 
And it's just as necessary for people who are followers of Jesus to live this way. And so Jesus, um, as we get set to wrap up our time in, in worship and just kind of give our attention to you, kind of creating space to process. God, I'm not sure how this message kind of fits or, or hits different people at different stages and different seasons of life. I know some that they're in one season of life and they long to be in another season. They're single and they want to be married. And, and yet, God, so much, some of the times, we can get so captivated by another season that we want that we miss the opportunity to leverage the season we're in. And it's because we want this other season, we want to live to please ourselves. And yet, you've got us in this season for a time and that we can aim and influence and leverage our life to live to please you. That in a cultural backdrop of the world we live in, to honor our sexuality and to live in a way that's honoring and pleasing to you is just so radically different than what our world says. And it's tension-filled and it's frustrating, it's aggravating, it feels overwhelming at times. But maybe there's some steps, some guardrails, some wisdom here for people who are trying to live as followers of Jesus in our cultural moment. That much like the cultural moment of the first century, maybe it was a lot of pressure just like it is today. And maybe there's some things we can learn from the people back then and the wisdom that you had that's still true today. So Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts each one of us is at a different season, different place. We need to whisper from you. So we give this space, this next song, and we ask, God, would you communicate what's needed to each heart listening, to each heart tuning in online or here in the room? Would you use this song to stir our hearts to hear from you, we pray. Fill me with your 
every song we could ever sing. Come on, church. Worthy of all the praise we could ever
the hope we can hold on to. That God is that secure foundation and his truth is what's actually best for your life and for mine. So I invite you to continue to lean into that as a follower of him. If you're not a follower of him, I just invite you to get curious about him. Because maybe some of the emptiness that hasn't filled you is pointing you to the one who can and wants to. So, so glad to have you here tonight or tune in. Uh, just a couple quick things before we go. Um, and just ladies, we have uh, the Aspire Citywide One Night event is coming uh, November 5th. So if you're interested in that, all the information is in the app. You can find out about that. It's just for ladies. Guys, you don't get to go. Um, See, you'll see some other things in the app. So just quickly, uh, at the end of the month, we're doing our trunk or treat uh, here, partnering with Emmanuel right in the parking lot on the 28th. Thank you for some of you who've been bringing candy. You have one more Sunday to do that next week, and then it'll be the Friday after. Invite families to be a part of that. We'd love to bless a lot of kids. Uh, we're trying to do that for the whole neighborhood around here. And so if you'd like to be a part of like the trunk or treat or part of the setup or teardown crew, there's a table in the lobby that you can sign up for some of that. Uh, we'd love to have you participate with people from Elements and people from Emmanuel pulling that off. Uh, we are doing Operation Christmas Child. So the families and e-kids are doing this, but we have a few left over. So we figured we'd take, listen, this is cardboard that transforms into a box that transforms a kid's life. It's kind of cool. Uh, and so you can find out more about this Operation Christmas Child, Samaritan's Purse, been doing this for decades, and we're just participating in that. So we have a few. Bring it back um, by Sunday, November 13th, if you want to participate in that. It's a great way, like with your grandkids or with your kids, to go shopping. Say, hey, we're going to help bless a kid this Christmas halfway around the world, uh, and you can do that. Uh, so next week tailgate party right after service, okay? So if you are able and like if you are strong, if you would say, listen, Jack, I am strong. If you are strong, we're looking for a few people that would help us set up all the tables in the parking lot at 3, at 3 p.m. So if you're here at 3, help me set up tables. That would be awesome uh, to do that because I don't want to do it by myself, okay? So if you want to help with that and then wear your favorite jersey next week. So baseball, baseball, football, football. Okay, all those things. Just wear a favorite jersey. We're just going to hang out and have a lot of fun. We got a couple uh, food trucks. Sarge's cheesecake will be here. Uh, like Meatball Madness and then like uh, a taco truck that'll be here too. So we'll have a fun hanging out together afterwards. We'll be a shorter service <laughs> if the sermon guy will go shorter. Okay, um, so we'll finish up uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 next week. So if you happen to be new, we throw a 10-minute party, last 10 minutes or less in the back corner. I'd love to meet you, and we have a free gift for you tonight. So may the Lord bless you, empower you to live, to please Him over just yourself. Listen, you can treat yourself, it's okay, but live to please Him. Friend, we'll see you next week as we gather together. Bless you.